Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started with class. Welcome. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee, David said. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. Are you memorizing God's word? That's what it's all about. And if, when we memorize God's word, I know as you get older, it's not easy to remember scripture. You don't have to. Just, you keep memorizing one thing, one verse a week, for the next four weeks, you're going to have that verse memorized. And then use it. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, come on. The, the emphasis of this class uh, is interactive. So I want everyone who's new, and those who obviously are um, older members of the class, understand this, that I will at times ask for feedback, and I am actually encouraging that. Um, this is not about the, this is not the Lou Wider show. This is the Lord's class, and we just come together to learn together and grow together. And today's topic is on forgiveness. Now, this is vital. This topic alone will change your life if you really understand it. So I'm going to jump right into it. It's 11:26, and I want to be able to. We started this lesson last week, and so I I got through the introduction last week, and so we'll get, we're going to go through that a little bit faster and finish this up this week. But when you stand praying, Mark 11:25 says. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your, you your sins. And I think it's very important as you go through the scriptures, how you live as a Christian, how you forgive as a Christian is very important for your own spiritual lives. Now, if you didn't get a lesson, raise your hand. We've got those lesson sheets here today, so make sure to get one of those. And that way uh, you can stay up with the lesson itself and follow through. It's, uh, what does it mean to forgive or to be forgiven? It's an accounting term that literally means to cancel the debt. In other words, husbands, men, males, who? Okay? Guys, when you, your wife says to you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, that means you canceled the debt. And you, when you say, I forgive you, you cancel that debt. There's a debt there because she's offended you. But that doesn't mean three days later, if she does the same thing and you go, hey, now this is becoming a habit. If you cancel the debt, there's no debt there. Do you want God every time? How many of you have sinned since becoming a follower of Christ? How many of you have sinned more than once since becoming a follower of Christ? How many of you have sinned the same sin more than once? What if God said to you, uh, hello, on August 27, 2014, you sinned that same sin again. So you must not have been serious when you asked for forgiveness. So I'm not going to forgive you. Really? Is that, what God, is that how God's going to respond to you? No. Then we should respond that way to our wives or to uh, ladies. If your husband sincerely comes to you and says, honey, I'm sorry, forgive me. You cancel. When you say, I forgive you, you're canceling the debt. They owe you nothing else at that point other than love, right? That's what scripture says. It means the remission or elimination of punishment due to sinful conduct. In other words, after they do something, it's not like, well, no, I'm not going to do that for you now. I was going to do that, but you were rude, and so I'm not going to do that. There's no punishment. I mean, really, folks, are we going to punish each other 
for these kind of things. It's like even when we deal with our children, there are times when our children will do something wrong and will come to you. And they will ask for forgiveness before you even ask them. You know, it's like, I, I, I messed up, Mom and Dad, I did this. Now, there are consequences. I'm not saying to eliminate consequences. But at the same time, there is at times we can use this as a teaching tool because remember, we're teaching all of this. Yeah, Tish. It's almost like God knows, He made us, so He knows we're made out of dust and He knows our habits as created beings. So it's like when Jessica was a baby, what does she try to do for like an hour straight? She tried to put her finger in the socket as she's walking, crawling over. I'm like, no, no. I still her know so much, but she did it over and over. And I had to still keep her safe from hurting herself. Of course, her first word was no that day. So, you know, but it's like, we're like that child. You know, we're going at it and at it. God removes us, removes us from it, you know, so we don't get hurt. Yeah. Especially if it's a hurt that we can't turn from. Absolutely. So we don't, we deliver from the penalty of sin. That's what God does. And a biblical sense is based on Jesus' sacrifice for humanity. He said it was vicarious or substitutionary sacrifice. He took my place. Did Jesus die for your sins? Yes or no? Yes. Did he die for all of your sins? Yes or no? Yes. Because of that, because of what Jesus did, okay? Because of his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. And I want to say something right now that's extremely important. For those of you who struggle with this, stop beating yourself up or others up because of sin. Jesus paid for it. It's forgiven. It's done. Okay? But we have a tendency to, and we act this way at times towards our people. Lord, I can't forgive myself because what I did was wrong. And we continually beat ourselves up and we, we deal with that as if, as if God, we, we, we put our... Our attitudes, our perspective into God's heart and mind. As if he responds the way we do and he doesn't. And he's wanting us to be conformed to his image, not us to be conformed, him to be conformed to our image. And so what we need to do is from that perspective say, wait, if God has forgiven me, I will forgive the same way. It was propitiatory. God's wrath is satisfied. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And I think, just real quick, just a statement that I made last week is this. World evangelization isn't a good thing. It's a necessity. And so, the bottom line is, is that those who do not have a relationship with God and are capable of understanding the gospel, not... You know, unreached people groups. But in, the, the, they're capable of understanding the gospel. They are under the wrath of God. Because of sin. Sin is a big deal to God. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. And so when we think that way, we may go, well, I've got this co-worker, and they don't know Jesus. <sighs> I don't, want to, I don't want to lose my friendship with him, so I don't want to tell him about Jesus because I'm afraid if I do, I'll, you know, I'll lose him as a friend. Let me tell you something. The day they die without Jesus is the day you'll really care. Or that family member, or that friend, 
or that whatever they are to you. We need to communicate the gospel. That doesn't mean being a jerk or being rude or being disrespectful. Okay, 1 Peter 3.15 sets it for us correctly. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Jesus needs to be Lord, not Lou. Okay? Always be prepared to give an answer for the faith that's within you. Always be prepared to share your faith. But do so with gentleness and respect. What a passage of scripture. Memorize that. Meditate on that. It'll help to guide you in your life. It occurs when there's repentance and confession of sin. Repentance to be saved. 2 Corinthians 7 10. Someone read that for me. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So forgiveness occurs when we're saved. When we, through repentance, are saved. We, by faith, we trust in the Lord. We repent of our sins. We no longer want to live our lives the way we want to live it. We want to live by according to God. We turn, we, we repent, we change our mind, and we follow Christ. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow to me is just, I, I'm sorry I got caught. That's the simple way that I, I like answering that question. Confession to get right with God and others. So in other words, after... After um, you're a born-again believer, as brothers and sisters in Christ, forgiveness occurs when confession occurs. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't automatically forgive them. Someone doesn't come to you who has hurt you. You may, Matthew 18, go to them privately, okay, and you deal with that process. But in your heart, you forgive them, okay? But I think there's something that's misunderstood at times. If you are ever the offender... You are the one who has sinned against your brother or sister in Christ. You have an obligation to confess that sin before them. Confession means to agree with God. Honey, Cheryl, I was wrong when I did that. I sinned against you. Please forgive me. Confession. If we confess our sins, this is to God now. First John 1 9. If we confess our sin, what? What's the next few words? Okay, let's say that together. If we confess our sins, then you say the rest of it. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess, as brothers and sisters, now we're already forgiven for salvation in heaven. But we also need positionally we're saved in Christ. We're already seated in the heavenlies. Amen? Amen? But you know what? When we are a Christian, a follower of Christ, when I sin, I, can, I grieve the Holy Spirit. And if I continue to sin, I can quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be in a bad relationship with my father. Okay? Just like we do within our family. You know, guys, men... Okay, we understand here. You can look at your wife and know you did something wrong. Am I right? Yep. Yeah, you know it. Now, ladies, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again because I've got some visitors here. <laughs> they haven't heard me say this before. Do not make this number one mistake that wives often make. 
You assume we get it. You assume we know what we did wrong. You assume that we know that what we're supposed to be confessing before you. You think, doggone it, I shouldn't have to tell you. In Jesus' name. They don't get it at times. You have to communicate. Honey, sweetheart, whatever you call them, you did this. And that hurt me. You want to look at dumbfoundedness? Say that to them. And they'll like, I didn't even know. And you're just ticked off and you think you're waiting for us to confess something that we don't even know that we're supposed to confess it. Communicate. Let us know. Okay? And we will, over time, grow in our understanding of that. We won't just be dumbfounded anymore because we'll get it. Because we'll know your heart and mind in that. So when we do this, we confess it. And then... You forgive verbally. You forgive them in your heart. But you don't let, you know, someone hurts you, you don't go to them and say, hey, I forgive you, before they confess it. That's done nothing for them. It hasn't changed their heart a bit. They need to confess it before you verbally forgive them. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So when they come to you and they confess it, you forgive that's huge. It also forces the offender to do the right thing, to confess it. Because it's not until we agree with God that what we did was wrong that we can really start to get right. Does that make sense? I hope so. If not, pray about it. <laughs> the example of Jesus Christ as a role model and teacher of forgiveness. Jesus forgave us off of our sins. We should do the same for others. It should be reflected in how we treat people. Someone read Ephesians 4 not 21 to 32, 31 to 32, sorry. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgives you. Just the way Christ has forgiven you. So, let me ask this question. How many of you, since becoming a follower of Christ, you've already admitted you were a sinner, you also realize you have been forgiven by Jesus Christ? Say yes. Amen. Raise your hand. Hallelujah. That's a lot. Okay? Now think through that. What does that mean to you? I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I don't have to pay for my sin. Now think about this, folks. Get rid of all bitterness. We want to experience God's forgiveness. Give that gift to somebody else. Let them experience the forgiveness of God when they hurt you. When they come to you and ask for forgiveness. Get rid of all rage and anger and brawling and slander. Every form of malice. When you're talking against somebody, if you're on, you know, you're on Instagram or you're at work and you go, man... Let me just say something. Do never. Uh, here's a phrase that I want everyone to memorize. You've heard me say it before. Praise in public. Criticize in private. Never, ever, 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 slander your spouse in public or at work or anywhere. Because what it does is sends the wrong signal to those around you. 
that you are not happy in your marriage and something can go on if you wanted to. And it's hurtful to them, your spouse, even if they don't even know about it. Praise in public, criticize in private. And what you do then is when you, you're kind and you're compassionate to each other and you're forgiving to each other, just the way Christ is kind, compassionate, and forgiving to you. Man, I love it when Christ is compassionate and kind to us. But I'm also grateful for his forgiveness. We're forgiven the way we forgive others. Matthew 6, 12, and verse 15. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Verse 15, though, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to hell. Okay? It doesn't. What it does mean, though, is on this earth right now, you will, you will not be forgiven for your sins, and you will not, the Holy Spirit of God will not be working in through your life. And that's why when we go to heaven, God will look at all of our works, and the wood, hay, and stubble of our life will be burned up. And everything that we've done in the flesh is meaningless in eternity. Okay? So in other words, you want to have a short account of sin. And you want to deal with that, not just for, you know, reward in heaven, but so that you can be used by God now. Because that's what the heart of Jesus would be about, right? He wants us to be used by him now. But when we don't forgive others, God chooses not to forgive us. You'll still go to heaven. But you're going to regret a lot of things when you get there. Jesus understood human depravity and forgave those who were cruel to him. Luke 23, 34. Someone read that for me. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus on the cross. Just like Stephen, when he was being stoned. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's ready to forgive, even in the midst of being crucified by these people. And they're taking, dividing his clothes and casting lots. And bargaining over him, betting over him, and all this kind of stuff. Think about that. Jesus is suffering on the cross, pulling his body weight up to breathe. And here's these guys down below, so they're, they're, they're casting lots and taking his clothes and selling, you know. It's like, really? But his hard attitude in the midst of his father, forgive them. They didn't get it. And we have that kind of hard attitude to people that hurt us. Do I have that attitude when people hurt me? Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't get it. They don't understand. He asked for their forgiveness before they even asked them. So that's my point. You forgive them before they even ask it, but you don't verbalize it to them until they do. That was my point earlier. Do we understand the depravity of man? How will that impact how we view and treat people? What should that drive us to do? What will change their hearts and minds? Romans 3, verses 9 through 18, 23 says this. What, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage being Jews? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of their vi is, a vipers is on their lips. Boy, that's a pleasant conversation. Yeah. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. 
and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's, we, he understands the depravity of man. That's us. Okay? That's us. That's who we are. For Christ, this is us. Okay? That's the attitude that we have. But that's our world. Do you not? Do you see on the news the wickedness of our culture? You see the wickedness in our world. That's what Jesus is describing here. That's what God is. Paul is describing here through, through Christ. Through all of this, this is who humanity is. Are we shocked that they actually are who Jesus said they were? Who God said they were. Jesus didn't treat the, the way uh, treat people the way they deserve to be treated, though. Jesus knew that God would settle all comes. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In the garden, Jesus said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me. Jesus could call down anything he wanted. He could have destroyed man from the face of the earth. But that wouldn't have brought salvation. So in other words, he understood that the suffering that he was going through was part of the plan of God. When we go through suffering, do we understand that what we're experiencing is through the plan of God? He's allowed it to occur at least. He's allowed it to happen. Cheryl and I, when, we, when she was in the hospital, she was in so much pain, she was in agony, and yet at the same time, we're sitting there going, you know, and then we learn about this mess. It's like, You've got this, God. This is all part of the plan. Now, and she's in pain, and she's like, Lord, you can take me any time you want to. Thanks, sweetheart. <laughs> Just leave me. Leave me hanging here by myself. <laughs> but when you're, anybody, has anybody else ever been there? I know, but I was about uh, 10 years old. My family went out west, and my dad said, hey, Lou, why don't you see how far you can swim into the water? Because the next year I was going to go into Boy Scouts. And so I, I'm in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and I swim all the way under the water, and I'm halfway up, and I pop up out of the water screaming in pain. I don't know what it is. And that evening, I can still remember, as a 10-year-old, looking at my mother and go, take a gun and shoot me. I said those bad very words. I'm so glad she didn't. But three times, I, I had headaches every single day as a kid. They said it was the fluorescent lights and all those kinds of things. I had headaches every single day as a kid in school. I go on this trip, I have three episodes like this, and all of a sudden, since, since 10 years of age, uh, I may have had a couple dozen headaches, that's it. I don't know what happened. God allows things to happen in our life for reasons, but when we're in pain, we're suffering, we're like, no, I, don't, I want to just be out of this, but you know what? God may have a different plan. God may have a reason for this. And I know scripture tells us why. So that when we go through suffering, we can be an encouragement to those who are going through at that time later. God has a plan for all of this. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, those who hurt you, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to revenge. I will for the say the Lord. God's going to take care of all of this. He did not condemn even when it was deserved. John 8, 1 through 11 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. In other words, the story. 
He brings this woman there. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And Jesus understood their very motives. They didn't care about this woman. They were going to try to find out whether Jesus was going to fulfill the law or not. You just seem so kind and nice to people and forgiving. Are you going to forgive this woman? So we have a reason to condemn you? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Don't, everybody's got speculations to that. Um, but I, I can't wait to find out what Jesus wrote in sand. You know, if it, 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 it was probably, if, if, if I was Jesus, and I was God, and I was omnipotent, and all-powerful, and omniscient, all-knowing, I'd read, I'd go to Lou Wider and start listing some of my sins. Oh, man, why does he know that? And then the next name, you know? And he'd get through everybody, all those Pharisees that were there. And he, all we know is he wrote the sand. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Yet he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest one first, until only Jesus was left when the woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and lead your life of sin. Now see that he, he's not just he's not going, hey, it's not a big deal. Sin doesn't matter to me. No, he says, leave your life of sin. Stop it. By faith, trust in me, get your forgiveness, and get on with the holy living. So he, he didn't whitewash the sin, he's not making a big deal. But the issue is, is that he and by the way, he could not have condemned her, even though he was God, according to the law. Why? If Jesus would have picked up stones and said, Woman, you deserve to be stoned. I am holy. You are not. And he stoned her to death. Why couldn't he do that? Yeah, Bob. There were no two witnesses, which were required in the law for a woman or a man to be judged. They were gone. No one's there. But think of how God, in other words, go beyond the story. Think about it for your own life. Think about it for the life of someone else, your spouse, your children. God knows our sin. It's not about Jesus. The Word of God says, John 3, 17, sent not his Son into the world to what? Condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Is that our part? In other words, when we're talking and thinking about others, are we thinking of their spiritual lives? Restoration. Getting them into a right relationship with God. Or we just look out for our own justice. It's all about me. Or it's about them in eternity. Jesus was willing to save the thief on the cross. What does this teach us about the way Jesus was willing to forgive? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. So what does this teach us? We did this in the last lesson. I threw it into this lesson as well because I think it's important. What does this teach us about the way Jesus was willing to forgive? It's immediate. It's immediate? You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to be baptized? 
It's eternal? Anytime. Pardon? Anytime. Anytime. Did he have to work for it? See, that's the difference between Christianity and all of the religions. All of the religions, you have to do something to earn eternal reward. In Christianity, the way God has communicated through Jesus Christ and his word, it is by faith in what Jesus did. Period. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And that's got to be the message we have for everyone. Mercy. Grace, love, forgiveness. Again, we're not saying, see, Christians should just love everybody and let them do whatever they want to do. That's what real love is all about. No. Jesus said to the woman caught in the act of adultery, stop it. Don't do this lifestyle anymore. There's no recollection from this woman caught in the act of adultery that she was ever saved. He forgave her of that sin, but that doesn't mean she was born again. The emphasis is where's her heart? We don't know her heart. All she was glad is her accusers were gone, but how did she respond? Don't know. She could have been went back to committing adultery again. We don't know. But he forgave her at that moment because that was what he could do. Trying to win her to a lifestyle of following Jesus. How can we be a role model of forgiveness? We should forgive the same way we have been forgiven. How much have you been forgiven by your, our Lord? <laughs> Think about that. How much have you been forgiven? How many sins have you committed? And he still says, I love you and I died for that. Does that mean that you should enjoy the grace of God and you know, and just live any lifestyle you want to? No. Romans 6, right? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that died to sin live any longer in it? And that's important. Okay? There's an assumption in Romans that when you became a follower of Christ, when you became a Christian, you died with Christ. You died to yourself. It's not, God, thank you for dying on the cross and taking me to heaven one day. And, um, and, and then um, I just want to be the best person I can be, but hey, we're all human, right? <laughs> no, it's an attitude. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. I am dead. I no longer want to live my life the way I want to. I have given my life. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. That doesn't mean I don't sin after becoming a Christian. What it does mean is the passion of my heart is that Lou Wider is dead. That's why when you're baptized, that's the beautiful symbol of baptism. When you, you don't just get sprinkled. This is our church denomination. Our, we understand this because of the word baptizo, which primarily means to immerse. It can mean to pour, but primarily it means to immerse. Jesus was baptized by immersion. He's our example. He went under the water. It's a symbol of death. Okay? We died to ourselves. I no longer want to live my life the way I want to live it. I want to follow God and his word. But the pastor doesn't leave you under the water until bubbles come up. He brings you right back up. Why? Because you have a brand new life in Christ. Brand new life in Christ. I forgive. Colossians 3.13. Someone read that for me. 
Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as you as the Lord forgave you. When a brother or sister sins against you, go to them privately. If they listen, means they humbly acknowledge their sin and agree with you. Okay? Matthew 18, 15 to 17. What Pastor John was talking about today. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. This is not for friends and family. This is not for Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. This is just between the two of you. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, they don't even have to be aware of it, they do have to be witnesses to it. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Many years ago, we had to practice that within our own class. There was a husband and wife, he took a new job, he had an affair, she confronted him, he refused to repent. I went, and another one from this class went to them. He refused to repent. We brought him before the church. We brought him before the pastors of this church, the deacon board of this church. A few. We didn't gang up on him, like 25 of us, but there was like five of us. And he said something that shocked me. And this was a guy that was planning to go into full-time ministry. But sin will take you where you don't want to go. Leave you a lot longer than you want to stay. And he said to his wife when he got home, you know, I can't believe it. They really wanted me to repent. Can you think of that statement coming out of somebody's mouth? They really wanted me to repent. And she goes, duh, that's what the scriptures teach. You know it. You preached it. Okay? Go to them. Do what you have to do. Because the ultimate goal isn't for your satisfaction, but for them to get right with God. So brothers and sisters in Christ in here, okay? Everyone listening. When you sin, the purpose of confession is restoring you to your God, who you will face one day. In love, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your spouse, your family, your children, your grandparents, whatever, are there to help restore you. Restore you. Praise the Lord for the restoration of Christ. And when you're forgiven, get over it. You're forgiven. Praise the Lord. When your spouse says it, praise the Lord. Man, that's awesome. And you don't have any debt anymore. You're forgiven. It's not like, yeah, but you remember what? No. It's not remember when. God doesn't have amnesia. He casts apart the east to rest and remember no more. God is omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and all that kind of stuff. He knows everything. He's powerful enough to do everything. He, he doesn't have amnesia. He just doesn't put in your face anymore. Oh, by the way, yeah, right. That's the 74th time you've come to me with this sin. That's the 396th time. Are you kidding me? <laughs> This is a specific sin against you. It's not sin in general. It's not a public rebuke. It's ne if necessary, it would involve witnesses. And lastly, church leadership would confront the offender. This is the biblical approach to doing it. 
Forgiveness should occur when confession is made. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translation says 70 times 7. 490 times. The issue is, is that, is he making a point on the 78th time or the 491st time, depending on your translation, uh, that you can stop at that point? No one's keeping a record. Problem though is, is how many times does your spouse sin against you, a sin, that you go, yeah, but you can't be serious because you're doing it again. See, that's the human attitude. The spiritual attitude from God's perspective is anytime they come to you with the right heart, I'm not talking about arrogance. Yeah, hey, I did it again. I'm sorry, forgive me. That's a wrong attitude. You'll know it. Okay. So the Lord is teaching us here. Forgiveness is huge for you. Are you forgiven? Say amen. amen. Are you forgiving others? Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we worship who you are and thank you for the blessing of forgiveness. May we not only experience this from you, but may we give it to others. May we have the heart and mind of Christ in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week. God bless you. Thanks to you visitors for coming again.